Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. I'm so glad that you are here for all of those who are here in this room in our overflow space and uh, maybe watching online. We are uh, so glad that you're here today. I want to let you know we um, made a change to everything we're doing today. Uh, we were in a teaching series called How to Know When You Grow. Uh, and I was really looking forward to that message that I prepared for y'all for this weekend. I was really excited to give it. Thought, you know, it's kind of profound, life-changing stuff. And, um, <laughs> but then given the realities of the, what's gone on in our nation this last week, we all just decided, you know what, we can just put that on pause, throw that out. Because uh, we need to create some sacred and safe space to process and to move forward together into this world. Um, and so we, our, our team is amazing. They, this is all Friday. We're texting each other back and forth and kind of threw everything out and started from scratch to create the space that we've experienced so far today. Uh, I would like to say, if you'd like to hear that amazing message uh, that I wrote, I'll be around afterwards. I'll just get out on the sidewalk. I'll just give you that message. <laughs> if you've got like 30 minutes, I would love to, to share it with you. We'll save it for some other time uh, because what is right for us to do right now is to uh, address the realities that we were all awakened to yet again this last week, the reality of violence and hatred and racism in our nation. And as much as we'd like to think that we've evolved, we keep reminding ourselves that we have not. And so we want to create some space for us to listen to God, to listen to the stories of others uh, in a little bit, we're going to spend some time lamenting, this old biblical practice of lament. And then uh, what we want to do when we're done here today is for you to leave loving better than when you walked in. That's the goal, is that you would walk out of here loving others better than when you walked in today. And the question that maybe you found yourself uh, facing, asking these last couple days, these last couple months, years, however long, really, because this is not a new story, is like, what are you supposed to do when days are as dark as they are? What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to respond? What, what, how do you have hope when it seems like all hope is lost? You know, how, how, how do you uh, move forward in a world like this? Um, especially uh, for those of you who are followers of Jesus. A lot of folks in our church uh, have said yes to Jesus and they've dedicated and devoted their lives to following him. And so for those of you who would say that's you, what do you do? What's the invitation for you to do when days are as dark as they are? How do you have hope when it seems so hopeless all around you? Because these are difficult days. And the problem is, is that they are compounded because they are built on previous difficult and dark days. We have a rich history of racism in our nation. And we find ourselves back where we were again and again and again and again. We now live in a nation today where, um, despite the fact that black folk make up about 13% of the U.S. population, the reality is that of those who are unarmed and killed by police officers, black folk make up 37% of that number. How is that possible that we live in that world? That black folks are unarmed, black folks are killed five times more than unarmed white people last year alone. How is it that we live in days where that's a reality? Where we now know the names of those whose lives uh, have been lost or taken from them. Because this is not, again, not a new story. 
The difference today is that you can know their names, as that uh, their headlines and their hashtags. And so now you know a little bit, at least the tip of the, sur- uh, the surface, you know a little bit more of their story. You know now, because of the world we live in, names like Eric Garner, you know about Michael Brown Jr., you know about Tamir Rice, about Laquan McDonald, about Cedric Chapman, about Alton Sterling, about Philando Castile. You know these names because these are names of folks whose lives have been lost. And you know the names of officers who lost their lives while protecting the right for folks to protest a broken system. Isn't that unbelievable? That we now know the names of folks, officers, who died protecting the right for others to protest. So that's the world that we live in, that you now know the names of Officer Brent Thompson, Officer Michael Kroll, Officer Patrick Zemeripa, Sergeant Michael Smith, Senior Corporal Lauren Ahearns, these are five men in Dallas this last week, five husbands, fathers, brothers, sons, who lost their lives because of the division that has so out, have gotten out of control in our nation, died protecting the rights of people to protest them. Think about that for a minute. And we know the reality. See, we get a headline that tells us that the story is that cops are bad and it's cops against black folks, or it's white folks against black folks, and you're smart enough to know that's not the whole story. That's a headline. The reality is that is a small minority of cops, of police officers and peace officers, that the vast majority are good folks doing good work, laying their life on the line for us. They swore an oath to protect us, and that there's a majority of folks who actually do good work. And so we celebrate the cops that do good work. We thank God for them. Part of our church, ton of cops that are part of our church. I thank God for them. I thank God that I have at least a sense that we know that there are folks in this church who are committed to following Jesus as they serve our community as peace officers and police officers. We thank God for them. And what it leaves us with is this reality that you can actually support, pray for, Good cops doing good work and simultaneously hold them accountable to the oath that they swore. Those aren't mutually exclusive things. Those things can exist simultaneously together because we need each other. We need to be working together. And I think we would know this. We would say this as a city. We need our cops and our communities. We need each other all across different racial lines and backgrounds to be working together because we know as a city, violence has gotten out of control in our city. And I don't know about you, we've seen some national headlines this week and big stories, but we know that we suffer through that every weekend in Chicago. Every week, every week, folks are shot, murdered, killed in our city. We need each other more than we know. It's not a time to be divided. It is a time to be united. We desperately need that. We desperately need each other. Did you know that so far as of yesterday morning, so not including last night's numbers yet, as of yesterday morning in the city of Chicago, so far this year, 2016, 
311 people have been shot and killed in our city. Does that bother anyone in this room? Does that, are you okay with that? That 311 lives gone so far this year alone. Do you know what that means? That means twice a day, two times a day, someone shot and killed in our city alone. I'm not okay with that. God is not okay with that. Do you know that just in the neighborhoods that surround Soul City Church, just here on the west side, just on the west side so far this year, 55 people have been shot and killed just within two-mile radius of this church. Are you okay with that? Is it just like, well, I guess, you know, that's the city. This is kind of just is what it is. It's broken, but this just is what it is. Or might there be more for us to feel and to do. What are you supposed to do with those realities? What are you supposed to feel? I want to offer you a few thoughts and then we're going to walk you through a couple passages and, and then we're going to get to the, uh, a response for us, something for us to do today. On the idea of what you should feel, uh, you should feel sad. You should be sad. This, any loss of life is tragic. You should be sad. And maybe you found yourself, like I found myself this last week, when you turn on the news or it pops up in your Facebook feed, just crying. How is this possible? How can we treat each other like this? How is that possible? You should be sad, but you should not be surprised. Because this kind of violence and this kind of hatred is not anything new. In fact, it goes all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis, the second generation to walk on this earth. There was already violence, murder, hatred, prejudice. See, it's just been a part of our story for generation after generation after generation. You should be sad, but you should not be surprised. You should be outraged, but you should not be overcome. You should be outraged. You should be angry at the loss of any life. But you should not be overcome in that outrage. You should be stirred. There should, something should be stirred up inside of you. Did you feel that way at all this last week? Like, I gotta do something. I have to do something. I don't know what, but I gotta do something. This last week, there was a meeting at the school here in our neighborhood and it was to celebrate uh, some of the work that's been done to, uh, with our partner school, Brown Elementary School, as well as Skinner right here in our neighborhood, and the resources that have actually been rewarded to Brown Elementary School, and it's a huge victory for our partnership there, and so excited, and uh, the mayor was going to be there. The mayor was at this event, and so Jeannie was going to the event, and I, she was pacing around the house, so fired up. I'm going to let the mayor know this is a right. We got to let someone, I'm like, okay, babe, pace yourself. <laughs> easy now. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know if that's the best approach at this event celebrating the kids. Um, <laughs> so you feel that stirred up. You felt that, that you should be stirred up. This is not right. And you should not be silent. You should not be silent or lulled into some state of numbness by overexposure to headlines. You should be stirred and you should not be silent. Because Jesus knew the reality of violence in this world all too well. He lived in a country that was being occupied by an empire, by Rome. 
and face their own so, uh, sense of prejudice and violence against folks based on their ethnicities and the, you know, kind of their story, where they came from, what they looked like. And in fact, not only that, Jesus pulled together a group of followers uh, that he called, you know, his first disciples. And, and these are folks who were not only part of that set, but now they're a part of a subset called Christians who would be persecuted and harassed and arrested. And many of them would give their lives because of Jesus and for Jesus. And so knowing all of this and that he was going to be leaving this world and heading back to his father, he said these words to them in John 16, 33. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them to you. Jesus said, listen, I've told you these things. I've kind of prepared you for the reality of this world and what life is like in this world. So that what? So that in me. So let's say it again like it's actually on the board behind me. So that in me you may have peace. So that in me you may have peace. Now Jesus does a little compare and contrast. In me you can have peace. Then he goes on to say, in this world you will have what? Trouble. trouble. You will have trouble. You will in this world have trouble. But, he says, but take heart because I have what? I have, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have violence. In this world, you will have racism. In this world, you will have division. But in Jesus, in the midst of this world, if you are in relationship with Jesus, you can have peace in the presence of all the problems that surround you. Isn't that amazing that if you are in Jesus, you can stand in the face of evil and hatred and violence and you can actually have peace within you because your eyes are not what's on, what's on the surface. You are seeing through that to the reality of that which is Jesus, that he has actually already overcome the world. Now listen to this. You come into a world, you were born into a world that Jesus has already overcome. That is a powerful truth. In fact, when you walked out of your house this morning, you stepped out to come to church today. You came into a world overcome by Jesus. He has actually already won. The victory is his. Now we continue to wage little tiny battles over racism and prejudice and arrogance and anger and hatred and all that sort of stuff. Those are our little battles. But Jesus says the war is already won. I defeated sin and death once and for all. I overcame the world. There's no power in this world that can overpower you if you are in me. And that's how you have hope in dark days. Because you can know the one who's overcome. He already beat it. He broke the systems of sin and death once and for all through the cross in an empty tomb. You can know the one who's overcome. Because we live in a world overcome by Jesus. That the peace you can experience in Jesus actually was paid for, it was purchased with a price. It was bought with a price through his death and his resurrection. That peace was purchased by Jesus so that you could have it in the midst of a world that looks like it's falling apart all around you. You can actually have peace. And not only that, you get to participate in that peace with others. See, he offers you a peace that's only made available through him, but you and I actually have to practice and participate in that peace with one another that we get to actually work that peace out with one another. It's offered to us freely from Jesus. What you do with it is up to you. In fact, one of my favorite writers and thinkers on this sort of stuff, her name is Brenda Salter McNeil. 
And in her brilliant book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, she said this about the process of participation in peace. She said this, she said, there is no sustained peace without justice. You can't have peace without justice. No sustained, long-lasting peace. You can't kind of buy peace without justice. You have to have justice. And she says, there's no sustained relationship without forgiveness. That there is no unity, there is no coming together from different backgrounds, different cultures, different perspectives that we cannot come together in any sort of meaningful and sustainable way without the practice and process of forgiveness. That forgiveness is essential to a healthy, sustainable, long-term relationship with one another. What does that mean? Well, anyone in this room ever been married for more than five minutes (laughs) knows that you cannot have a sustainable, healthy relationship without forgiveness because you're going to do something that hurts them. They're going to do something that hurts you. That, that's how you actually have unity is when you can humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Or I wrote a story about you. Or I assumed the worst about you. Will you please forgive me? We do this with cops. We write a whole story. Oh, it's all bad. We do this with communities. Oh, they all respond like this. We do this. We write our stories. And until we're ready to confess, until we're ready to ask for forgiveness, we're not going to have any sort of sustainable peace or sustainable relationship with each other. There will not be unity in the absence of forgiveness, confession. And what we're about to do for these next few moments, lament. We're going to take a moment to do something that's written about the Bible. It's an ancient practice called lament. It's a calling out and a crying out to God from the bottom of your heart. There's a whole book of the Bible, in fact, called Lamentations. Uh, You've probably skipped over it a number of times. It's in the Old Testament. It's okay. It's okay. Because the book is filled with this kind of calling out and crying out to God. And it has the audacity to say to God, where are you, God? You ever found yourself saying that this last week? Where are you, God? How is this possible? Enough is enough. That's the book of Lamentations. And in the midst of this calling out and crying out to God, you see contrition. You see brokenness. You see forgiveness. God, heal me. God, forgive me. God, break me. And that we find that the problem is not out there, but so often it's in here. And so we're going to just take a moment to confess And so I'm going to ask you, if your knees will hold you, I'm going to ask you to actually get down on your knees right now in church. We don't really do this all that often here, but I think these days require this kind of posture. And so we're going to get on our knees. Now, if your knees can't quite do it, I want you to imagine in your mind that you're on your knees and that your knees look great, okay? So you can go ahead and get on your knees right where you're at. Open your hands if you want in a posture of prayer. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to just start walking through and I want you to ask for forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you for your own prejudice against this group of people, against that group of people, against politicians, against those in authority. We all have our own stories. We all have folks that we have shown our own prejudice towards and those that we show our own preference towards over others. And so what we're going to do is come clean. God, forgive me for those parts that live in me. So in your own words, just ask, God, forgive me. And I want you to get real specific. What are the stereotypes that you keep playing to and perpetuating? 
or to the whole kind of groups of people you make jokes about or have your assumptions about, ask for forgiveness. Think about the person that's hardest for you to love and start there. And I ask you to ask for forgiveness for our nation. Ask forgiveness for how we treat each other. The low value we've put on human life. I'd ask you to call out to lament to God right now for our city that is so broken. for healing. Ask for help. And ask God to restore your hope. God, we come to you because this is only possible through you. Help us see that it's not out there, it's not them. It starts with us. Forgive us. Forgive us. And heal us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. This weekend I was riding in the car with Gigi. We were running some errands, our eight-year-old daughter. And... Uh, we were talking about this. We're processing all of this with our kids. We're, we're not letting them watch the news and the coverage of all that stuff. We're talking with them about it and what it all means. And uh, she gets, she's in the back seat. She's fired up. Dad, this is wrong. I'm like, I know, baby. No, it's not okay, Dad. Who, why, who said you could treat someone different just because they look different than you? It's not okay to be mean to someone just because they're different than you. I know, baby. It's not okay to shoot someone. I mean, she is getting fired up. It's not okay to shoot someone because they're different than you. That's not okay, Dad. I know. I mean, she gets this from her mom. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. I know she's getting revved up. And then she, she loves uh, Martin Luther King, but she sometimes adds a little title to his name. She, so she gets fired up and she goes, Dad, this is not what Martin Luther the King fought for. <laughs> so, so she's elevated his status. He's the king. She just did that little changes. This is not. She's like, it's not over, Dad. I said, I know it's not, honey. It's not over. We have so much work to do. We have so much work to do. And I love that an eight-year-old can get it. This isn't what God intended. This isn't what God created us for. That there's actually so much more. And it begins with who you actually already are. And that informs what you do when days are dark like these.
So now what I'd love for you to do is grab your Bible and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna look at what we can actually do because we're not gonna look for our help to come from policy as important as policy change is. We're not gonna look for our help to come from politicians as important as that is. You know, if, you, if you're hoping that if you just got the right person in the White House, all of this would go away, good luck with that. Good luck finding the perfect politician. There has yet to be one. All of those things are important and have their place, but there is something far greater that is actually true of you and that you can do when days are dark like these. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It's on page 677 in your gray Bible. Let me give you some context. As powerful as Gigi's backseat sermon was, it pales in comparison to the sermon found in Matthew chapter 5, the central sermon of human history, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the upside down kingdom of God, where things are not as they seem. And those who choose to follow Jesus live in a different way than the world around them. And so he's painting a picture of what that looks like. And we come uh, into this sermon in verse 14, which is where I want us to just spend a moment together. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now let me just pause right there. On that little phrase there, this is, I want to give you some context to Jesus' time and where Jesus lived. See, in Jesus' uh, context where he lived, the landscape uh, had these things where like the topography of the land would go up uh, at an angle and it would, it would cause uh, elevations to occur in the natural landscape. They called them hills. Um, I know you live in Chicago and so you don't know what these are, but they're out there. Other people have seen and experienced them. And so Jesus is saying, a city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. In fact, you know this. If you've ever driven through the mountains before, you can see a house way up in the mountains with its lights on miles off, can't you? And so Jesus says, imagine when it's a whole town of houses and their lights are lit, you can see them way off and they become a source of direction in a world that is living in dark, dark days. Jesus said, that's who you are. You are the light of the world. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You don't go ahead and put brand new energy efficient light bulbs and all the bulbs in your house and then cover them up with beach towels. Why would you do that? He says, instead, they put it on a stand. They put it out for everyone to see and it gives light to everyone in the house. You don't light a light to hide it up. And the ways that you and I can hide our light in days like these, the way you hide your light, diminish your light when days are as dark as they are like these. I'll give you a couple of thoughts. Um, when you exhaust your energy exerting your opinion on Facebook, that's not your light, that's just your opinion. And we need more than your opinion right now. I'm grateful that you have it. You can keep it to yourself, honestly. Because what we need is truth that's rooted in something bigger than you and me. That's what the light is. So you can diminish your light and hide your light when all we hear from you is you spouting off all your opinions and all your theories of why this person's wrong and this person's right. That's great. That's awesome. You can do that if you want. I'm just letting you know that's not light. You diminish your light. You put it under a bowl when you numb out and spend hours and hours and hours watching CNN. And I know how it feels. It's overwhelming. But what happens is the longer you do that, the more dim your light becomes in the light of your television set or your computer screen because you're finding yourself getting numbed to the reality of the world around you. And it's a form, honestly, of escape as opposed to dealing with the world around you. 
You dim your light when you stay silent and stay quiet and don't speak up and say, this isn't right. This is wrong. God created us for more than this. And in fact, that's what we find. Jesus says, this is who you are. You are a light. Now, you want to guess what you do in dark days? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light, what's the word? Let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what you do when days are dark. You let your light shine. You love others really, really well that you don't play to prejudice or stereotypes any longer, that you don't play that game of who's in, who's out, us, them, that you love others really well. This is your light in the world because look at the world around us. All we see is who hates who and all we see is how this group doesn't like this group. It is, that's all our world sees. And as the world gets darker and darker, your light has the potential to be brighter and brighter. When the world is at its darkest, your light can actually be at its brightest. And the way you let your light shine is you love. You love others. You love them well. You love them without excuse or exception. You love them well. Are you willing to be? Now listen, this is what the church can do that only the church can do. To be a light in this world. To say there is another way. And I would hope that the world could look at our church, at the church, and say, oh, wait, what do they know that we don't? How is it that all these people from all these different backgrounds, all these different ethnicities, all these different stories can actually genuinely love each other? That's your light shining. That's a city on a hill. If we can't get that right in here, we have nothing to offer the world. And so you can practice. You can begin right here when you see folks here at Soul City to love them really well, to listen to their story. And to choose to begin to be the light so the world may see God's love through your good deeds. Are you willing to be the light in these dark days? Years ago, St. Francis was reflecting on his dark days and how there was violence in his day and greed in his day and prejudice in his day. And he was reflecting on what could his little life, his little light do? What difference would that make in this world? And so he put pen to paper and he came up with this little prayer that I would love for us to pray as our agreement together that we will be the light for one another and to this world. And we're going to do it a little old school. I mean, we already got down on our knees, so why not just go all the way? We're going to actually do a little kind of call and response sort of prayer where I'm going to say something and then you respond and say the part back to me. And it's all going to be on the screen, so you don't have to worry like you, or if you're freaked out that you don't know it. It's all, the answers are all on the board, so you don't have to worry about that. And so there's going to be parts where it says all, and that's when you want to take a guess who, who says that part? All of us. And then there's leader, that's me. And then there's people, that's you. And so we're going to go back and forth, but I want you to listen to these words and I want you to let them be your declaration. I want you to let them be your way of saying, this is what I'm committed to being about, an agent of peace and of light in this world in the dark days that we live in. So let's read this together out loud right now and make it your prayer all together. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, where there is injury, where there is doubt, where there is despair, where there is darkness, where there is sadness, O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled or to be understood 
or to be loved, for it is in giving, it is in forgiving, it is in dying, Amen. We want to make that our prayer, that we would be agents, vessels of peace, that we would lament over the brokenness of our world, that we would love others without exception and be a light to this world, and that we would actually listen to others to hear their story, their perspective, their experience. And that's what I want us to do in these closing moments. I want to invite my friend and an elder from our church, D.L. I want to invite D.L. to come up, and I want us to listen uh, to DL's story for just a minute. So can you welcome my friend, uh, DL, up on stage? <laughs> DL is not only an elder of this church, he's not only my friend, but as of a week ago, we both actually moved directly across the street from each other on the same day. So we, we got to like each other whether we like it or not. I got to keep an eye on him. He yeah, keeps that's an eye right. On yeah, the elders dispatched you to watch over Jeannie and I. That's right. So, D.L., I asked you this yesterday, and uh, I wanted to see if you'd share some thoughts with our church today about what does it mean for you to be a, a black man in the world that we live in? You have three beautiful, beautiful kids. What does it mean to be a father of beautiful black children in these difficult days? What does that mean for you personally? Yeah, I appreciate it, and I appreciate this time. Is it okay if we're honest and candid for a few minutes? Yeah. I know we do a lot of uh, Soul City uh, small group sachets, so. Uh, checking in. Here's my check-in. <laughs> I think uh, tenderness is, is clearly there, right? Anger is there. If anybody listened to the president's speech earlier this week after the first uh, incident, some of the statistics he shared, 30% more likely than whites to be pulled over are African-Americans are three times more likely to be searched, shot by police officers more than two times the rates of whites. And then you talk about sentencing issues, and he said African-American defendants are 75% more likely to be charged with offenses carrying mandatory minimums. They're receiving sentences almost 10% longer than whites arrested for the same crimes. And African-Americans and Hispanics make up more than half the prison population, though they only comprise 30% of our nation. Mm -hmm. Even here in Chicago, mm -hmm. the Police Accountability Task Force recently just put out a report that between 2008 and 2015, of the 404 police shootings, 74% or 299 were African-Americans that were hit or killed by officers, compared to 14% Hispanics, 8% whites, and 0.25% Asian. The fear, the anxiety, the tension is real. And we feel that. I feel that. I certainly can't speak for the mass of the African-American population. But for me, personally, when I look at my kids and I think about the future that I want them to have, I think about my own story in different environments that I've come from growing up, always kind of learning what it means to operate and navigate in a sense of other or a sense of uh, majority minority dynamics. There's a tension that's yeah. there. There's a sensitivity that's there. Yeah. And so for you, DL, to live in the reality, to name it and to share that, thank you um, for just sharing even just a little bit of that. 
at the same time, there is this other reality that is true of you as well, simultaneously, is that you are a Christ follower. You follow and love Jesus, devoted your life to him and to loving and serving him. And so how do you then live as a follower of Jesus in dark days and difficult days like this? What is that? How does that inform who you are as a person, as a father, as a husband? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, when Jared and I were touching base on this second question, I'll be honest, it, it took a little while. I'm like scoring through like passages and trying to find like that biblical principle that rings truth for these moments. And after struggling with that a little bit, I was led to uh, Romans 12, verse 9. And Paul has just given instruction to the church and he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, yes. cling to what is good. Yeah. And later on, he, he speaks in verses 14 or 15 and 16. He says, mourn with those who mourn. And live in harmony with one another. And what that means for me, what I think that means for our church is, what does your sincere love look like Mm. in these days? Mm -hmm. It's going back to your families. It's going back to your your office. It's going back to your Mm -hmm. friendships. And really Mm -hmm. finding out what it means for me to love sincerely. To not give over to hate, right? Because what is, it says in the scripture that, that perfect love casts out all fear. So even though I have that tension, even though I've had those sensitivities, I've been pulled over and you have that frustration. It's, as you said, respecting the officers that are doing their job. That's right. It's loving your white brothers and sisters and your Asian and Hispanic, your blue brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. everyone with the love of Christ. It's being willing to be transparent, honest in what we don't know, honest in even our own senses of ignorance. Yeah. But love and sincere love means I'm going to strive to see you. Yes. Yeah. And I love, I, I love that deal. And I, I asked yesterday if, if you would. I, lo- I mean, I love even last night, you know, our girls were playing together. And I'm like, man, they, how come they get it so much more than the rest of us? You know, here's these little girls just playing together. I'm like, God, help us to have that kind of sincere and sweet love like that. And so I, I, I would love for you to pray for our church. As an elder of our church, I want to have you pray for our church and pray for our nation. If you would just take a moment to do that, and then we're going to um, close our service at the time of remembrance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, um, the thought comes to me, the change in our hearts happens when we see the plight of others as our own. Yeah. And so, God, right now, just over this body, Lord, let us be a people that doesn't see division, Lord God, but sees opportunities to build bridges, not walls, God. Let us be a people, Lord, that reaches out to our neighbor, God, Mm -hmm. that takes that first step, Lord, to love sincerely. To love sincerely in every aspect of the word. Not just in the times that we have when it's easy, God, but even in these times when they're dark and hard. Mm -hmm. That we'd have the difficult conversations with ourselves and with our friends, with our family, God. That we would take the opportunity to be vulnerable in these times. To feel the pain of what others feel, God. But also to pursue and seek out hope 
God, we don't have the answers. We're not perfect in of ourselves. But we know you are faithful, God. And we know that you're calling this place, this body. Lord, let this be a church that shines a light in the darkness, right. God. Yes, Lord. In this city, God, where the yes. statistics are demoralizing, God, yes. let this be an opportunity that one voice rises up together. One voice that yes. cries out yes. for your righteousness to ring forth, Lord yes, God. Yes. For reconciliation, Lord God. Yes. For forgiveness, God. For yes. peace. For sincere love. We That's invite right. you into every heart in this place. Yes. We invite you to every heart to do a new thing, God, in this mm -hmm. generation. Mm -hmm. To raise up a new people, Lord God, that really and truly live out what it means to show the world the transforming that's right. Power of Jesus Christ. Do it in us today, God. Yes, we pray. Do it in our nation, yes. Lord God, we pray. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tiana. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you.